This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute... Something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. On the grass, the lunatic is on the grass, remembering games and daisy chains and laughs. Got to keep the lunas on the path. The lunatic. Is in the hall. The lunatics are in my hall. The paper holds their folded faces to the floor. And every day the paper boy brings more. Stella at Hawk Asked Backroll Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 195 for August MMXX. Backroll to Oracle is brought to you by Action Film Face Off. Monthly, monthly, monthly.
action film face off. Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action film face off. Yes, thank you, Jared. Action Film Face-Off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets... Jason was a Navy SEAL! Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris! Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet, but it could happen because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it! We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our Video Dome arena. It also has spikes! It does not have spikes. <laughs> but we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear. Jason is not fighting a bear. <laughs> but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade network of shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. Ah! I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade, or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see the blood fly. I just said that! <laughs> Batgirl the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. <laughs> Sorry, I've already started laughing, which I'm sure I lost a bet or you may drink if you need to, because I, I know that was one of the things of how long will it take me to laugh? This is weird because I'm on my own. I was thinking about Poison Ivy in the best Batman film ever, Batman and Robin, where she says, of course, you know, this is a one-woman show, and that's what I feel like it is right now. There have just been lots of guests, and while I do love guests, it's also fatiguing, just sort of the preparation and getting everything together and editing and all of that stuff, and so I just needed a bit of a break, so I'm alone, but the thing with being alone is everything falls on me. I feel like I make less mistakes if there are guests, if I want to talk about something off the cuff and I'm alone. I can edit it in audio if I say something wrong or something that I shouldn't have said. The video, it's a bit like, uh-oh, it's there, because that's the positive thing, or the great thing, I guess, for you guys is viewers that you get the unedited video format. And then, of course, you can hear what I changed. But here we are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what's funny is I actually want to start off this podcast talking about The Last of Us Part Two. And I'm sure a lot of you are actually groaning right now because 
you're thinking, wow, she just talked about it for six hours on a podcast and a video cast. What more does she possibly have to say? And I do have to, you know, I'm going to speak for Harold, but I feel like he and I could have talked even longer on that. I feel like I could have talked for 12 hours on that. I could have gone step by step, bit by bit, act and scene and all of that stuff. But we didn't. I mean, I honestly only planned to have a three-hour podcast, and it and it doubled. And I was I was actually surprised he wasn't. It seemed, which is really funny. I thought, well, three hours is that you know? But you know, it happened to be six hours. But the thing with this game is, I'm still thinking about it. And I think for those that didn't fall into the trap of the leaks, that they, I I feel like again, I'm speaking for multiple people that their lives were affected in some way, and it's not a game that you just turn off and put away. And yes, I've turned it off. I have actually put it away back in its collection box, but I'm still thinking about it. So there are just a couple things that I want to say about it. If you are looking for my rage quit, which I did advertise on Twitter and Instagram, I suppose, which I guess is technically clickbait, but here we are. It is going to be the part two of the video, and I have no idea. Future Stella is going to take a guess and say that it was it's eight minutes into part two, but we'll see about that. And I actually lied to you guys, so I have to apologize because I said I was going to record yesterday, Friday, and it's actually Saturday, but I went on a 40-mile bike ride, and when I got back, well, my legs were screaming, to be honest, but I was exhausted, and the thing about the 40-mile bike ride, there have been times where I have worn a safety vest and had my phone and listened to music. But now I've gotten to the point where the safety, it's too much because it's too hot. And it's just another thing I don't need to wear. Trying to figure out some way that I can have music going. But I was just left with three hours because it took me three hours of contemplating things. And I felt like I almost exhausted my energy from that. And I was just contemplating what I was going to say in two particular parts of the Last of Us discussion that I'm about to have. But I got home and I thought it'll be okay. Had some some food for fuel and thought, okay, let's do this. I couldn't do it. I was so exhausted and my middle finger hurts really badly. It's better today. It, just, it sounds weird. Like, what have you been doing, Stella? Flicking people off? No. But something happened and it must have been because I noticed it right after I accidentally dropped my water bottle. So I'm on the way and on a two-way highway and I took some water and I tried to put it back in its holster and it did not go back in and it popped out. And so I had to stop immediately, go off the road and then wait for traffic to come and get my water bottle. But after that, it felt like, so I don't know if I jammed my middle finger or not, but it was just hurting. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be tapping around the computer and do I need this? I mean, it still hurts, but anyways, here we are. So that was why. So I apologize for lying, but Uh, It's Saturday, so at least it's not like one week later. She finally decided to record this episode. So Last of Us Part 2. Donovan, I will say props to this guy that he finished Last of Us Part 1. He actually sent a text message to me of credits, and uh, I could tell right away what the credits were for, and I called him immediately, and we chatted a bit about that. And then he, he ended up watching, I think mostly watching the episode that I did with Harold And he said, I thought this was a funny quote, finally finished BTO. I've never heard such foul language, (laughs) such foul language from you or the podcast. And uh, my guest on the next episode, 
won't say what his name is, but I was talking to him about this next episode we're doing, which is on a book I received called Politics in Gotham. And he was asking me, like, to what extent should we explore, I guess, really bipartisanship or, or our political beliefs and things like that. And so I let him know that I just don't really talk about politics on this particular podcast. And I'll let them know that, you know, your viewpoints, guest, do not reflect the viewpoints of Batgirl Oracle as a whole. And he says, that seems fair, but let me note that you have explicit content on your show, but not politics. I see. And I said, I had one episode with explicit content because I was using clips with swears. And he said, are you sure it wasn't you with the swears? And I said, I said by a few, I said a few by quoting he's like quoting your own vitriol and i said exactly because really what was going to stop him so anyways some some fun stuff but i know that people with my show i mean this is it's bait for everybody right that everyone thinks i'm going to have a really long podcast i mean someone actually just yesterday or something pretty sure my coffee nemesis said something about seven hour podcast and so that's just whatever you know i'm used to it by now so i know that six hour podcast which is practically probably an audio book depending on the size of the book it's super long and also if you're not really interested in the last of us why listen to it but i will say i'm actually pretty proud of that i just felt like you know the clips and and adding that sort of stuff. And I felt like our discussion was really good. So I hope you do give it a shot, but I can understand if you didn't. But I do have some more things to say, of course. So first of all, gosh, I started off on a completely terrible, uninformed foot by saying who the heck is Jerry. And I found out who Jerry was and I texted Harold immediately. And I said, do you remember Jerry? He said, oh, did you figure out who it is? It's the friggin' surgeon. I what? Uh, I don't know if I guess maybe he was called Jerry in the flashbacks, but surgeon, doctor, Dr. Anderson, I would have totally known Abby's father. Yikes. So that was who Jerry was. So I just wanted to start off correcting that. No one has said anything to me, which is fine, probably because no one's listened, but there we go. I want to talk about sales. Even though you would think that it would have failed given everything, perhaps it incited more. So in its release weekend, The Last of Us sold over 4 million copies worldwide, becoming the fastest selling PlayStation 4 exclusive BD Marvel Spider-Man 3.3 million and God of War 3.1 million in the same period. It was the best selling game of June and became the third best selling game of the year within two weeks, generating the highest first month sales of the year. In the UK, it became the fastest-selling physical PlayStation 4 game, outselling previous record holder Uncharted 4 by at least 1%, and The Last of Us by 76%. In Japan, it was the best-selling game during its first week, selling an estimated 178,696 physical copies. And in Germany, it sold over 200,000 copies in June 2020. So uh, the leaks didn't stop it. And then Metacritic changes. This happened recently, specifically with Ghost of Tsushima. Tsushima. It now makes users, Metacritic, makes users wait more than 36 hours after release to start posting reviews, deeming that adequate time to believably play the game. And of course, this is coming from The Last of Us because people were posting within a time that would have been impossible. You just could not have beat the game within that amount of time. It was lower. It was below 24 hours. And so, of course, we know that people were review bombing. And so this is great. Uh, Probably, you know, I asked myself why didn't Metacritic do this earlier, but honestly, Metacritic probably believed or had faith in humanity 
more so than it, I, I suppose, needed. But it always takes one, right? So I'm, I'm glad. I'm sad that it was The Last of Us Part Two, but I'm glad that Metacritic took what happened and learned from it. And now future games can benefit from this particular thing. So. So those are the two. Now a longer discussion, uh, two long discussions, longish. Uh, one is on the sex scene again, yes. And then I want to talk about the seraphites again and religious warning ah, that I will be talking some Christianity with with the seraphites. So if you need to fast forward there, and then just something that I missed or I should have talked about. You know, one of my and I think this is true of a lot of people, but one of my weaknesses I would say is that. I I feel like I'm pretty quick. I'm pretty good with sarcasm. If I have confrontations or maybe a, a discussion that doesn't involve anger or things like that, I will come back afterwards and, and think, man, I should have said this, this, this. And then I really focus on that and almost to like a toxic level that I just need to move past it. And so something that I've been trying to do better about is leaving stuff, you know, try to do the best you can, leave it all there, especially with auditions. That was one of my goals this 2019, 2020 season, which of course I got a part, which was great at this local theater, but just like leave everything on that audition floor and don't, you know, no regrets and and don't rethink everything and, and go through. It's just not, I feel like it's not healthy. Unfortunately, with podcasting and and certain discussions that I have that mean a lot to me, I come back afterwards and think, oh man, you know, what about this, this, and this? And with The Last of Us, again, it could have been a 12-hour podcast, honestly, no joke, because there were so many things I wanted to talk about and some things that I left out that I really wanted to talk about more. And so I'm going to give myself some time now to talk about it. Okay, so first of all, the sex scene. And I did bring it up, obviously. I shouldn't say obviously. I did bring it up with Harold. And the one time I think that I was dissatisfied with Harold's answer was this. I I think were I to boil down his answer, he's just like, meh, you know, it's a sex scene. Sex happens. It's a life stuff. That's it. But there's something that just bothers me about it, and specifically the Abby and Owen sex scene. I think... Taken by the reason why I think is because I am comparing it to the other sex scene, and I'll say with quotations because we don't know with with Ellie and Dina. Maybe I mean the assumption they they definitely made out, uh, and they just robe to a certain extent, but they have their clothing on. Whereas it's it's pretty it's explicit in multiple ways with Abby and Owen. The fact that you see the uh, the thrusting, the penetration. I don't know how how to say that, and then the after. Uh, math of it that um, under the blankets and sort of the cliche, you know, you can tell someone has slept together, whereas with Ellie and Dina, you can't, though it is cold. So maybe they put their clothes back on. I don't know. So internally, I, I think about this in two different ways, internally and externally, like internally within the game and the scene and the narrative and all that stuff. And then externally, what's sort of happening here. So with Dina and Ellie, we already had a sense that there was shipping with the two of them. So I think there's something already inherently there that emotionally, I think we have a connection, especially if if you're with Ellie, I think you already have a connection. And uh, for me personally, 
because I'm a huge shipper, right? But I don't ship everybody. Like there has to be a feeling there. I did feel emotionally connected to that particular couple. It's that whole scene is really well-written and well-animated. I've rewatched it several times just because I enjoy it. I I like little, the nuances of of the facial features and and how they're interacting, especially when Dean is asking, you know, how would you rate our kiss and just sort of the uncomfort or discomfiture that Ellie is feeling and, and, and Dina to a certain extent, I, I feel like too, she's being coy as well. And we cut off. So I'm like, okay, so we don't need to see everything. So let me just put that out there. We can have that assumption of whatever, like we see the kiss and then it cuts off. Okay, that's fine. And I'm thinking about, because I don't need sex scenes for titillation, you know, especially like lesbian sex scenes or whatever, um, because I think you don't want to feed the audience that necessarily. And I think about also like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, you get a lot, but there's nothing explicit and you're told enough, but it's more about the relationship and how the two are together. And you are, you know, in many ways, it's about, of course, the the, the female gaze and the male gaze is going to want to see everything, right? So I look at that and I'm like, great. But then when you start to compare it with the Abby and Owen, there's just weird stuff going on. Now, number one, I don't feel connected to Owen. And even by the end of the game, I still don't really feel connected to him. And that's perhaps me. I I think there must be some sort of failure in the game as well, because Harold felt, you know, the same way. And that whole scene is really about creating empathy towards him, uh, better understanding, because that's when he's describing his interaction with this seraphite. And then he realizes, like, look at how far I've gone from a firefly to a wolf and what's happened and all of that stuff. So you should feel emotionally connected to him, but I just, I do not. I don't feel connected to Abby at that moment either because that's, it's day one. It's day one Seattle, I'm pretty sure. It's before she goes back. She's She has helped Lev and Yara, but she's not go, gone back for them. So there's not that connection there. So this is early on in that journey. Maybe people have grasped onto her yet. I haven't, though I do very much love her at the end, but it's very much a journey with me and her as a player, and I think that's how it is. So now you have this sex scene between two characters that you don't probably have an emotional connection with. So that's already a separation. It's violent, I would say. I mean, it obviously starts off in a physical confrontation with her. She had shoved him, and then he grabs her by the hair. It's uh, back to front, rather than a front to front, which is interesting. Obviously, you know, sexual poses, we don't really need to get into that. But, uh, you know, I feel like there is, you know, I'm thinking about Game of Thrones, right? Uh, With Daenerys and I, let's just call him Drogo. I'm pretty sure it's Drogo. That was all right. That whole thing for longest time was front to back. And then once it turned around, like their relationship also turned around. So there's, there's some symbolism there. And The other thing is, like, they do not cut screen. They could have stopped after her shirt was off and then she was turned around. But they go through. They continue with the thrusting and everything. And I just don't understand why. I don't know why continue with that. So that's the internal comparison, obviously, is that emotionally one is great and and one really isn't. I can't really get behind that. And then the external is... 
you do have you've got your uh, lesbian scene versus your heterosexual scene. Um, is there something there? Did you do that uh, for that sort of purpose? I don't know. It just I can't put my finger on it. Quite honestly, you know, it, it's an artistic choice. Uh, everything in that game is an artistic choice, right? But even with that sex scene, you have to uh, write it out like, hey, there's going to be a sex scene. You then script it very specifically. You choreograph it with the actors. You film it, motion capture. Capture. You then have to animate it. That is an artistic choice that has taken several steps to complete. And so I just wonder, there has to be some sort of reason why it was like that, why you didn't cut off. I felt a bit icky, but I sent both of those scenes to uh, Carolyn Coca and just said, hey, do you think you could tell me what it is that I feel discomfort over this and, and I can't put my finger on it, but there's something wrong here? And it's hard because she's so disconnected from it because she hasn't played it and she doesn't know the characters as well. And, and she gave me some insight as well. I don't know. I, I guess it's just this question that um, will never be answered. But no one's talking about it, I feel like. I mean, it's not like I've searched, but on any of the you know interviews or things, no one brings up this sex scene. And I don't know, is it like taboo? Let's not talk about the sex scene. I know that... There was some controversy involving, you know, oh, Neil Druckmann did the motion capture for it, which wasn't true. But I just wonder, what is it about that scene that causes me discomfort or it just feels really weird? I don't understand why it's in there. Uh, why didn't you cut out? Yeah, the so the emotional feel is obviously different. And then externally, I think there's just some weird reason. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, and I mean, this is coming from someone who doesn't really witness sex scenes in video games. I mean, the only other one I can think of, or two or three, I don't know, were however many ones Kratos had, you know, in God of War 1, 2, and 3, original ones. But those are completely different, and their purposes are, are very different, and I understand why you didn't shy away. But this is, it just seems different, and, and the second, the, the Abby and Owen one seems antithetical almost to what Naughty Dog was trying to do uh, with this whole game and, and sort of its advocacy and agency and, and trying to be positive. It's just very, very bizarre. So I, I feel like it's something more. So I, I disagree with Harold. I think there is something more there. I um, think it's more than just what a human act is just a sex scene. I think there's something more. And even, you know, if I were to use language on here, because I think language is important. I mean, explicit language, right? Words are very important. And I think back to the memoir, the dream house or in the dream house, I can't remember what it is, but her language is very particular in what she would use to talk about some of these sexual events that she had with her partner at the time. And I even think, though I might be misremembering, like you've got the F word, right? Which is, I, I feel like that's certainly what I would consider the Abby and Owen situation compared to... Ellie and Dina, which I would consider like, yeah, you could say sex or like the literal, you know, making love because there's obviously emotion and fondness in there. Even though Abby and Owen have this past together, I just never felt like it was there. Um, so I don't know. I, I wish someone could write in and be like, this is what I'm thinking about this. So if you have any thoughts because you've played it and were you bothered by it as well? Is it just me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know. And, you know, I told Harold, too, that it's interesting because the only previous act that you had seen between Owen and Abby 
essentially was that kiss. And then he was pushing more and uh, he said, okay, I'll slow down. I can't remember how it goes, but I thought, oh, is she frightened by intimacy? But then it turned into, no, it's just she's so focused on the revenge. And I wondered, did they ever have sex? And wouldn't this be weird if this is the first time that they had sex? So it's just, um, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, I guess I'll move on. So it's just a big question mark. I'm still thinking about it, which sounds really weird to say like, hey, I've been thinking about a sex scene for a long time. And I'm not doing it in like a really deviant sort of way, but just trying to figure out why why it was in there, why the artistic choice was made. And, and yeah, why does it not sit right with me? And why why isn't anyone talking about it? It's very interesting. So the final thing I want to talk about, uh, that's a lie, sorry. The second long thing that I want to talk about, because I do have just like as a, a period or an exclamation point, uh, one final thing after this, are the seraphites. And I felt like I did not comport myself well in the discussion, uh, just because I kept saying, I kept associating um, Christianity with like perversion and, you know, this is just the perversion of it. And uh, seraphites are the perversion of, you know, or showing the perversion of, I just kept using that. And I just felt like, oh, I didn't really showcase them well. And to get an insight into me, I, I'm either empathetic or a coward when it comes to religious talk, especially with or a discussion, especially with people that I don't know what their stance is. So even though I would now consider myself and Harold friends, I not I haven't asked him what his religious stance is, and I feel bad having discussions or talking about stuff that I don't know what they're thinking. This might make them really uncomfortable, so I should wrap it up really quickly. Uh, I think the one of the only people I can really have longer discussions with or talk about, and I know that he's okay with it, even though we have different belief systems, are uh, or is Tom Panarese, because he lets me talk about it. So like that's that's kind of my, my one comfort area, which I very much appreciate. So I do want to talk about it a bit more. So you might want to fast forward if you don't want to hear any of this stuff. I'm not going to Prosthetize you um, or evangelize. I will be talking about certain aspects of Christianity. I still really like the Seraphites, and I just want to better explain why I like them and and their complicated story. I think um, I will. I'll talk about Christianity in piecemeal chunks so that it's easier for people who don't like it or don't believe in it to ingest it. But the way that I'll do it might also be like heretical because I'll be taking pieces out uh, that don't necessarily go. But I think the way I'll do it is like to get you on board, like, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um, So just be aware, you know, if there's a pastor or father listening, um, that it will make sense. But hey, Alan Middleton, you email me if I said anything offensive or (laughs) if you agree or disagree with what I have to say. So the Seraphites, Oh, this was what I was, man, for three hours on my bike ride, I was thinking, how do I even begin this? Let me begin with Christianity then and then and then go with uh, the Seraphites. So I'm I'm gonna look at Christ as my my center focus because clearly that is whom on whom uh, Seraphina, I'm pretty sure is her name, that's how they get the Seraphites, is modeled. So if we look at this guy, let's just focus on him, which is, there's my first heresy, right? I know some people cannot get on board with this guy because the supernatural aspect of it, right? Not only that he's he's also God, but he rose from the dead. Okay. 
and of course there are miracles and things like that. But if you look at this guy who is, you know, it's interesting. I was going to say charismatic, but I don't know if necessarily I would consider him that. There is something about him that people are drawn to for sure. But he also yells at people. I don't know if, is that charisma? I'm not sure. And he needs, you know, some alone time as well. But this guy, all he talks about, all he preaches really is love. He does, of course, tell people when they're in the wrong um, and when they have mis- led others or mistaken what has been told them uh, via the Old Testament. But yeah, it's all about love. And I mean, honestly, this is the call to you guys uh, just to think about uh, why wouldn't you want to get behind this guy uh, who took the dregs of humanity and uh, welcomed them, welcomed them in his crowd. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? And so then we have Serafina, right? I, I really hope that's her name, who has a bit of a supernatural element to her just because some things were told from a newspaper article that was ripped up and then from Yara, I think that it might have been Lev, that some things that people couldn't explain were happening and she was able to protect this town somehow from infection and all the images of her that you find smiling people just like really idyllic and and um special and loving something about her care uh, uh caring person and she's got her own writings okay that seems similar to Christ and the the writings preach love Okay. Why? Yeah, absolutely. Why would you not want to get behind someone who is, you know, loving, having a loving community and protecting others? Now, here's where our information stops with Seraphina because uh, we don't have uh, all of the artifacts. I don't, there's a gap that I don't know how, why she was captured, what was going on, what was her engagement with the wolves. As a, there's only one article where a soldier was talking to her that wasn't supposed to, and she was talking about something. It's like, wow, it makes a lot of sense. But she ends up getting killed, and of course, she's a martyr, which, you know, doesn't that sound similar? But that's, man, that is when it all falls apart, isn't it? Because religion, really, the best part of religion is the the guiding force or the person on whom or around whom everything is set up or surrounds, right? But once that person is taken out, now you have fallible human beings involved and you don't have the leader to correct other people. And then you might have people that are really close to that leader still trying to disseminate the correct information. But once those people start dying out, it's getting harder and harder. That per- those people can't be everywhere at once. Now we have different interpretations and now it just starts to devolve. And that's both the fascinating thing about the Seraphites just watching this all happen and the really troubling thing about religion in general and and Christianity. It's hard to hear about the hateful Christians and it's hard to hear about the people that are hateful towards Christians as well. Um, Just because you don't want to, I mean, my gosh, you know. I wouldn't want someone to come up to me and I identify myself as a Christian and then they say, how dare you? You're a terrible human being. I, you know, those people don't represent the the, the larger 
belief system as a whole. It's just once people get involved in these sorts of things, it's it's downward downward trend. Uh, but you know, the Seraphites, I felt like because people, I think number one, they thought they were a homophobic cult, and I don't know if I could say that's literally true or not because they kicked Web out. But there, it's sort of more complicated than that it's like you know lev went against the ways that they had ordained so i felt like it's not i think it's i don't know if i can really use that and i'm actually trying to get away from using the word homophobia anyways because i think that we are using it incorrectly um because that sort of assumes there's a fear of it which is true for some people but others they're just they're hating. I don't. I don't know. Like uh, miso homosexual, miso queer. I, I don't know what sort of new term there needs to be, but probably miso, which you know the miso means hate. Uh, that prefix, uh, misogyny, that sort of thing. Misotheist, hating God. That yeah. We just need to change. I think the what how how it's being referred to, but felt like they actually treated it respectfully because people when they do religious whatever it's either laughable it you know clearly a satire or really making fun of it a really extreme and terrible and there's like no in between there's no sort of truth to it that yeah so i felt like the seraphites you have this person who created this great thing as a loving and, and great person to follow and then inevitably once that person is gone and people get a hold of it, it starts to, well, go down the wrong track, unfortunately. I feel like that is, in fact, what The Last of Us Part Two showed. And that was truthful to, you know, my experience. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure, I think, on Christians. And it's hard because we are not united. And this started way, way, way back, right? It's not a new thing. But just with all these denominations, you've got different interpretations. Where can queers worship? Where can queers not worship? Where can queers be in church leadership? Where can they not? Where can women be in church leadership? Where can they not? Where are tables fenced? And um, you have to be particular, uh, uh, having uh, given your life to Christ in order to receive communion? Where can you uh, take communion in the hopes that the Holy Spirit leads you to Christ? It's it's all, my gosh, uh, you know, where can I cut my hair? Where can I not? I don't know. It's just, it's so complicated. And uh, we should be the leaders of society. Love, love, love. This, oh my gosh, it's it's so disappointing. Uh, you know, the onus is on us. Eyes should be on us, but we just fail. We fail all the time. Oh my gosh, um, man. But if if I could do anything though, seriously, I'd be like, yeah, Christ is the guy. I, I implore you to just look him up. I mean, someone, you know, the tough thing about queer Christians is there's just this mixed message and some youth, because uh, I worked at a Christian school, obviously, and, and there are uh, some queer students there and they fear to come out um, because they feel like they're... Uh, won't be accepted, number one, by teachers, students. And then, of course, the whole I'm going to hell aspect or that fear. And uh, one student has come out to me, and and I'm a good advocate and, and friend with her now, I think I can say, since she's no longer my student. I told her, listen, do you feel like you would die and go up to the pearly gates and Jesus would look at you and say, I'm so sorry, you can't come in here, you're gay. 
Absolutely not. Because look at all the people that he had around him. Women, when, you know, when they didn't really have a voice, whores, tax collectors, which really means nothing, I suppose, now in this context. I'm sure there were queer people surrounding him as well. And he loved them and accepted them for who they were. Why wouldn't you follow that particular guy? Just saying. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. Just wanted to say that the Seraphites, I think, are pretty cool because they are complicated. And I want to comport myself better and explain <laughs> why I liked them and also a bit about Christianity. Uh, as you know, I don't really talk about it on here. I think you can get a sense that I am a believer, but uh, I try not to force my viewpoints on anyone. And if really, I mean, my comics, do they come up very much? Not too much. So unless the the story demands it, I don't talk about it. Final thing I want to say in regards to The Last of Us Part 2 was a big one that I didn't even – I should have had it there. But in Last of Us Part 1, there is a moment where Sam and Ellie are talking, and this is at, uh, outside of Pittsburgh – And we don't know it now, but Sam has been bitten and he asks Ellie, he almost confronts her angrily and says, aren't you scared of anything? And we know now, you know, looking back that he's, he's wrestling with this because he knows he's about to die and become one of these creatures. And she says, you know, I'm afraid of being by myself. I'm afraid of ending up alone. And man, thinking back to this now and, and going through Last of Us Part 2, how, haunting those words are now i think to left behind uh she well number one she loses her mom right uh who died i think in childbirth with her something like that i don't even know about her dad i don't think any information is given on her dad she loses riley her first love and uh, to even think about that because they were bit at the same time but to have her friend evolve into whatever that is did she end up killing her friend she never did because she was we find out she's immune right um but to watch that happen to a loved one did she have to put her down i don't know so she's alone there marlene gets killed though i guess we she doesn't necessarily know that but you know she loses marlene she witnesses joel beaten to death right in front of her and then her decisions her actions lead her to lose dina and jj and so to just think about those fears that you know all of this stuff happening to her no she i well, she's probably still scared of some of the infected i mean bloaters can rip your head off but being bitten again that's not really going to do anything but just being alone is her greatest fear and we see it happen to her and then how tragic because passively it's happening to her. She's not doing anything. It's just happening to her. But then actively, she brings that upon herself. I think that is one of the most tragic things. And I don't know if that's going to continue. Does she go and seek Dina and JJ out? I don't know. But, you know, the hope, right? Because that's still very well. The hope for her that I see at least is that she does not kill Abby. And I think as long as we have that one hope with her, I think that is at least a good starting point. So, Well, it's safe to say those two have officially bonded. What are you doing? Taking stock of all the food we found today. I see. And how are we doing on canned peaches? Did Henry send you? No. Why would Henry send me? To make sure I'm not f***ing up somehow.
I'd say we all did pretty good back there. Especially you. Is everything all right? Yeah, everything's fine. Okay. Well, have a good night. How is it that you're never scared? Who says that I'm not? What are you scared of? Uh, let's see. Scorpions are pretty creepy. Uh, being by myself. I'm scared of ending up alone. Okay, so I'm done with The Last of Us Part 2 for now, I suppose. I want to briefly mention that Batgirl, the current run, what is this, Volume 5? I don't even remember, uh, is ending at Issue 50. And I had the news article picked up, part of me, as I look at my phone, which is funny now because Shag knows that I actually look at my phone a lot when I podcast. <laughs> Just because I don't know how he found out, but now he's like, oh, are you doing it? And now you can actually see. Comicbook.com. This is what it says. A staple of DC's Rebirth publishing line, the Batgirl comic series is set to officially conclude later this year. DC Comics confirmed the announcement in their October 2020 solicitations, revealing that Batgirl 50 will be the final issue in the series. Writer Cecil Cecil Casalucci confirmed the news on Twitter, revealing that this ending has been planned. She wrote, it's been announced that 50 is the series finale of Batgirl. I want to say that end has been in the works for a long time. It was planned because there were other things upcoming that didn't happen. Fiercely proud of bringing Babs to here. Meanwhile, 47 is out next week. The oversized issue, that's the end of her quote. The oversized issue will be released on October 27th and is priced at $5.99. Featuring art by Emanuela Lupacino. Marguerite Savage and Aneke or Anike. The issue's main cover will be by Josh Middleton with a variant cover by oh, the Dodsons, Terry Dodson and Rachel Dodson, which we know that that will be beautiful. This marks the second major series that has been confirmed to be ending by DC Comics as Harley Quinn will also conclude with issue 75 later this year. It's unclear if both of these comics will reboot with new creative teams right after ending but the dc fandom digital event is i don't even know what that is is set to s s kick off in august and could come with new comic announcements dc describes fandom i should say ah there we go as having new announcements from wb games film and tv and comics and an unprecedented opportunity to hear from the casts and creators behind your favorite feature films and tv series the solicit says series finale all good things must come to an end yikes got some things to say about that as we wrap up this run of backer with one final oversized celebratory issue in the aftermath of joker war gotham is left in pieces that need to be picked up by barbara and alejo's team but is gotham a city worth saving anymore and how much longer does our girl have it in her Ay, ay, ay. To keep fighting for it as Batgirl, then, if Barbara is ever to give her relationship with Jason a chance, she knows she has to face him and finally make amends with the act that crippled him. Oh, my, ay. Ay, 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 ay. Okay, well, I've got mixed feelings. Feeling number one is good riddance. Listeners of the show, you know that I've not been enjoying this particular run 
and we're about to hit a low. There's the uh, the other, the bait, right? The quick bait in part two, eight minutes in, maybe that's my guess. That's future Stella. Future Stella is guessing. So good riddance, honestly. The bad thing is though, that she is a female staple and I'm afraid that like Cassandra, like Stephanie, because I think they're going away as well with, um, well, Cassandra is definitely with Outsiders Canceled. Without her there, losing, you know, you lose that presence of a an important female character in DC Comics and just feel like gone. Could she be forgotten kind of thing? Um, it's hard to forget Wonder Woman. I think Wonder Woman has something that Barbara doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Donovan believes that maybe sort of they're cleaning house, cleaning up a bit uh, with DiDio's departure, and maybe it'll start again. And I mean, honestly, if they do that, I hope to see Barbara, but I also hope that it's actually good, that it's written by someone who understands the character. People have been crying out, Backgirls, Team Backgirls. Yeah, having that, uh, a legacy book in the sense of having all these females and even non-females, come on, let's bring in non-females, uh, non-cisgendered uh, characters uh, would be great. But having a league of backgirls would be amazing, and I feel like it's time. <sighs> yeah, so two different minds. I, I think we lose something important in losing that book, but I also feel like it's not been good. And I have no idea what the sales are. I'm sure they've been lacking but something needs to change. And uh, I, you know, I've not written anything professionally besides the suppose a thesis on Backroll uh, as the heroine's journey or Barbara Gordon's heroine's journey. But I feel like I could write a good <laughs> Barbara Gordon comic book. But, you know, I don't think DC Comics is going to come and knock on my door, my door anytime soon. So there we go. Okie dokie. Well, we are now done with whatever that was. It's under the introduction subtitle thing of my document, but here we are. This is the Find Your Joy segment, which is Shag's Mac and Cheese of Comfort and Joy. What have I been doing to find joy in these sometimes unjoyful times? I've been watching She-Ra and the Princesses of Power on Netflix. It's great. It's so great that it tries my self-control from time to time in that I'm watching multiple episodes without being able to stop. It is also super diverse and in a very positive way, one of the queerest things that I've ever seen, and I love it. And it's treated so well that it's just like, yeah, that character happens to be queer. Yeah, those two happen to be together. Like, no attention is put on them. Um, I do have a question, though, about Bo's dads because they have 13 children, and I just wondered, did you have one surrogate or 13 surrogates? So I do have a question about that. Multiple ships. One ship that I feel like I'm supposed to ship, but I do not, is Horak and Entrapta. It's very bizarre. I'm not sure about that. Maybe a friendship ship, but mm -mm -mm, it's very weird. But I do highly recommend it. Netflix. And a, I'm a fan of AJ. <sighs> My Choco, I don't know, of Ali and AJ. And, and she plays Catra. And so that's been fun to hear her as well. Hey, Adora. 
Okay. Now we're done. We're going to get into some comic reviews. Isn't that weird, people? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll say what I was about to say later on. Uh, this is going to be a quick one, I feel. I don't have too much to talk about. It's not really a trash episode or a catch-up episode, as I sometimes have. But there, it's, there's no birds of prey. And there's no Batgirl. So we're just talking about some random things to a certain extent. But I am going to call out Dawn angrily at a couple of points. So just be aware of that. So first up, we have Superboy number 85, Silent But Deadly. Mm, like a fart. April 2001 is its cover date. Writer Joe Kelly, penciler Pascal Ferry, inker Keith Champagne, and colorist Jason Wright, and digital chameleon. Superboy is looking for some company to talk to and has decided to visit Robin in Gotham City while continuously pestering his young Justice teammate. Superboy and Robin run into Batgirl, who is fighting a group of sodium-filled undead. After defeating them together, Robin contacts Batman, but before he can turn around again, Batgirl and Superboy are gone. Cassandra found a clue and just grabbed Connell to come with her to investigate. Superboy and Batgirl find a laboratory, which might be the origin of The Walking Dead. Indeed, a belongs to a man calling himself Dr. Sin, and he is able to take both heroes captive. Although Dr. Sin finds her special physique very interesting, he wants to drown them. Batgirl and Superboy are able to escape the death trap, but Dr. Sin is already gone. Instead, they are confronted by Batman and Robin. The Dark Knight intends to punish... Oh, my heavens! <gasps> to punish Batgirl? No! Because she is not allowed to come close to metahumans. Uh, you should be fired, Cassandra Kane. And I'm pretty sure this is like the third time you should be fired. So calling you out, Don, to explain that. Not knowing what he might get himself into, Superboy is defending Batgirl and asks for one half of her punishment. How nice so it's good to know that bat jerk you know he doesn't just do it privately he does it in front of other people as well yeah so batgirl she's not fired because i don't know how you can half fire her and half fire superboy but she does disobey batman and so she's gotten like two more chances than um Hunter Scott and Stephanie Brown. So explain that, Donovan. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of something that I was going to say. And then I thought maybe that would be going too far. So I've decided not to say it. Filter. Okay. Uh, the opening Superboy acting like Batman and saying chum and later little chum or little buddy is pretty funny. And then this is the first meeting of Superboy and Batgirl, but it won't be the last. If I remember correctly, they go on a date kind of uh, in her series. It's been a while. Oracle doesn't even appear in this. So thank you, Excel document that lied to me. Her name pops up. Robin does talk to her, but her face doesn't appear, but Batgirl's in it. So I guess it works out. Okay, we're moving on to a three-part Batman story. And I, again, I won't talk too much about it, but I will cover it. And, at, you know, Oracle does pop up actually uh, a great deal in here. So it's probably good that I'm covering it. Thank you to the Wikia uh, for synopses for the first two parts and the third one. It was interesting because the first part was like, pretty sizable second part was a paragraph and then third part nothing so i had to create that on my own also thank you to the wikia for the superboy synopsis the less work i have to do on this podcast is uh better so here we go they match his malone trilogy batman 588 closed before striking act one 
April 2001, writer Brian K. Vaughn, penciler Scott McDaniel, inker Carl Story, and colorist Roberta Tooze. And I believe those credits remain for the entire story, so I won't say it again. The Batman walks into a CD bar asking about a shipment of armor-piercing cop killer bullets coming into Gotham City. C matches Malone at the end of the bar. He walks over, picks him up by the scruff, and demands information. Matches refuses and spits in his face, and it's yellow, so it must be a loogie. And Batman throws him out of the window, threatens the room again, and leaves. Shortly afterwards, Scarface offers Matches a place on the team he's assembling that night to pull the score previously in question, which Matches graciously accepts. After Matches leaves, the Batmobile swings around and picks him up. Dick Grayson is driving, still in the Batman costume from before, and Bruce takes off his Matches Malone disguise and grabs a wheel. Their attempt to reestablish Matches' credibility had been a success, and they prepare for the night's activities. On the railroad line where the ventriloquist and his crew are taking the incoming train shipment, Batman and Nightwing ambush them. They are successful in preventing the smuggling operation, but the ventriloquist is able to escape. Naturally, as the operation had been kept relatively secret and Matches Malone was the only one to bail. Scarface makes the conclusion that Matches is snitching to the Batman. Later that evening in the cave, Bruce and Dick receive a disturbing phone call from Oracle. It seems that Matches Malone has just been shot. Batman 589 closed before striking Act 2. May 2001 is the cover date. Matches Malone is dead, and Batman is none too happy about this. It had generally been assumed that Malone was simply an assumed ID, but as Batman tells Nightwing, there really was a Malone many years ago, one of a pair of arsonist brothers. When his brother Carver died, possibly at his hands, Matches committed suicide and Batman took over his identity. However, Malone had faked his death and took on another life back home in Hoboken. When he heard about the possible stool pigeon with his name, he decided it was time to come back to Gotham, only to find himself in serious trouble with Scarface. Nightwing is worried about Batman as he tells Oracle that Batman made a promise to Matches to kill the man responsible for killing Matches. Sounds confusing. And the conclusion is Batman 590, closed before striking, Act 3, June 2001 is the cover date. Scarface and the Ventroquist are at a theater as Batman interrogates Scarface's men for their location at a newspaper printing factory. He's about to use what looks to be lethal means when Nightwing arrives preventing this, even though Batman says he had it handled. Nightwing is shaken up and goes to the clock tower to talk to Babs. Uh, Alan, my chief hairstylist or just chief stylist correspondent, I want to let you know that uh, it is longer hair in a ponytail with a couple strands coming down from the front. They spar, because it's her workout time, while talking, bringing up the fact that Batman has potentially gone native and accepted the role of matches too well or too much. Babs asks whether it is an identity crisis and if it is also happening with Dick because of all of his different identities floating around, like a cop and leader of the Titans and things like that. He says that with help from friends like Babs, he stays grounded and then he throws back her many identities as well, perhaps going too far because she gets a little rattled and upset, but she gets the point. The difference is Batman hardly has anyone now. Whose fault is that, Bat Jerk? Meanwhile, Bruce takes $50,000 out of an account. Dick catches him, presumably to buy info on Scarface. Bruce returns as matches, telling people that he healed. Oracle helps trace a call to a theater that is made in a bar that matches is in. 
and Batman arrives at the theater and attacks Scarface, then suddenly transforms into matches, which is scarcely to be believed, but it is Batman. He's about to kill... I'm serious. He's about to kill when he sees the message from Carver on Match's matchbook, which was kind of weird that he took it, but he has it. And uh, Carver originally gave this to Matches. No, Batman has it as Matches. Yeah. But the message is, remember who you are. He kills people. He kills, but he only kills Scarface. Nightwing later meets up with Batman, asking if he killed, and both of them regretting the fact that he even had to ask. Batman explains that his consciousness was so divided that he didn't realize the theater was the same one where he saw the mask of Zorro with his parents. Dick asks if Bruce Wayne died that night as well. There's a pause and Batman says he doesn't know. Batman will continue to be matches not only to get info, but to also help redeem matches as well. Batman trusts Dick will help him if he loses his way again. And that is the trilogy there. And I'm assuming uh, the close before striking is this idea since it does the climax of everything takes place at this theater. When you strike, that usually happens at the end of a run. And it means that you you tear everything down, uh, which with my show, Men on Boats, we haven't struck yet, which actually kind of leaves me with some hope that we could do a couple more shows, but I don't know. But yeah, everyone helps take down the set in in preparation for whatever the next show is. So the close before striking is interesting, just that I guess it's sudden. This is actually, that literally happened to Men on Boats. We closed before striking. So, because the idea is you close and then that night you would strike. So usually along last night. Let me talk a bit about the covers. 588. I like this cover series. Actually, it's really fun. Uh, I shouldn't say fun. I, I feel like designed really well. You've got uh, two faces and Matches Malone is highlighted and more realistic. And then Batman's kind of like scratched out or like hashing or hatching makes um, with red makes the Batman. So you can kind of see this dual personality with 589. You have Batman holding up the face of matches. Like it's more humanistic than just a mask, but you can kind of tell that's a mask. And then I'd say like the weakest of the three, but still powerful is in 590 where you have matches looking to the mirror. And then within that mirror, you've got that red hatching of Batman, the Batman face looking back. So, so I would say a great series there. I like that we get to see the fallibility of Batman, uh, especially in the beginning of career of his career. I feel like feel like he is always held up in such a high regard that he doesn't make mistakes, and he was great all along. He's always been great. He always will be great. And actually, no, he made mistakes when he started out. Um, he was trying to take on these different guises and people quickly realized, you know, who it was. They ripped open his shirt for a wire and his Batman suit was there. He seemed like a narc. It seemed like he was killed multiple times because we were getting rid of these, these fake identities by doing whatever, throwing them in water. And, uh, so he learned from everything, which is great, but I, I love seeing that, that no, he was never always perfect, but then it, it, it does bring it to question the fact that, Look at how many mistakes you made. They were on you, so you didn't bring anyone else into danger. But my gosh, give some of these, you know, up and comers a a bit of a break as well when they're trying different things out and they make slip ups as well. So 
Ay, ay, ay. The strain on his psyche. I think this was really one of the, the most interesting parts of this is just, I think we really get to see what it is like to be Batman and uh, not just Batman, but all these different identities and how that can wear on you. And this is a real world problem as well, right? Because it's Batman and matches and him like really taking on this persona as matches and someone, even in the beginning, can't remember who well i know oracle on the call with oracle he's talking and she's like batman is that you like she couldn't even tell with the discussion with oracle and nightwing and she's going through all these different things it's not just literal identities of batman and matches but you also have these identities of father sister you know that sort of thing or or friend or colleague so with nightwing when she's talking about you're a cop you're a leader you're a former robin you're nightwing you're on you're all these competing identities that really wears on you and how do you act in these certain situations and that's certainly something that i also struggle with right because when you're in different groups you act in a certain way and i struggle with like oh man who is the authentic Stella? Why can't I be authentically Stella with all of these groups? Why do I have to be different? Um, Why do I act different with Donovan and Josh? And I feel like that's really close to my true self than I would maybe like at church or um, with my parents or something like that. And and to a certain extent, you, you have to read the room and you... I don't, man alive. I, it's something I'm still working through. I, I don't know if I could best uh, do it, but I just sometimes I feel authentic. And I did get into a debate or a discussion with some uh, people at school of, you know, is that living authentically? What does that exactly mean? Is it okay that you have different personalities with different, you know, to that extent? Um, but like this shows, it strains your emotional and and mental capacities, I think. And then you sort of get fed up when maybe you, your identity or your mask slips and maybe something pokes through and someone doesn't accept you for that. And that's hard, right? So, I mean, for me, I really, I do have to read the room for sure and figure out like how much can somebody take. And so, you know, I feel like uh, I'll use Carolyn Coca as an example. I feel a bit bad about it, but I think it's okay. So, like in the initially, I like that was just a professional relationship. I just really respect her. I wanted to keep it in that sort of vein. And now I just feel like we're legitimately friends. And also I've kind of thrown her in the deep end with with my personality. And I think that she's swimming okay in there. You just have to figure out like, is it, what's this person like? Feed them a couple jokes. For me anyways, are they receiving that well? Can I can I be a bit more of, you know, my my actual self? Is this different with Batman? I mean Ugh. I don't think he's doing the joke thing, but it just, it's again, all these split ideas and, and actions and personalities and, and how do they come together? And of course that is going to cause some sort of strain. So I really liked that. And, and I resonated with that particular part of the storyline. Okay. Donovan Morgan Grant, the first, I am calling you out because Batman is responsible for matches death. Nightwing calls him out on that. Batman agrees. Yes, yes, yes. Excuse me? Isn't this the whole reason why Huntress got the boot because she was responsible for some people dying? 
Give me a break. Double standard. Donovan Morgan Grant the first. You need to respond to this, and I want answers. So, whew. I love that Nightwing is moral compass. It absolutely makes sense. I think Barbara is also, but she pushes harder. And I think she's more like a reactionary and that something happens and she, she'll, I shouldn't say snap. Cause I don't want her to get this like persona, but like she'll go after someone. Whereas Nightwing, I think is very like, I mean, there's a reason why Batman brought Nightwing with him when he went to talk to Huntress. I think he's a good middleman. Uh, so I, I did like that. And then, yeah, the discussion with Barbara, I thought was really well done. Well, first of all, he doesn't even want to fight with her. She, he just wants to talk. Babs, it's Bruce. He's not himself. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So what's up? Does Bruce still feel responsible for Match's death? I She says something like, you'll fight handicapped. I'm not up to sparring this morning. You'll fight handicapped. Deal with it. I love that. Brings up Sherlock Holmes and his, you know, fallibility as well because he was a heroin addict. And then, yeah, just holding him accountable, right? Uh, Officer Grayson, Nightwing, Bruce's ward, reader of the Titans. How do you stay grounded with the help of friends like you, Babs? Or is it Barbara Oracle? Maybe it's still bad. I get the point. And then she rolls off. And then, yeah, that he doesn't have anyone, uh, which is, I mean, that really is Bruce's fault. He pushed people away and Alfred's still gone. Good on you, Alfred, for sticking to your guns. <sighs> Man, but I, I just, I liked that discussion between the two of them. I, Barbara brings up good points, but I like that Nightwing can push back as well. And I think you do get a sense of, oh, sometimes some of these things feel uncomfortable for, for Barbara for sure. So, you know, my true confession here, I've already confessed so much in this actual episode, which is funny. I, man, when I was reading this and then I went back on my Excel document and I was looking and I texted Donovan and said, what, you know, what's the next arc of, of Batgirl just so I could prepare. And he said, the next one running through is like the Shiva and it's 14 through 25. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I've got to do all those. And he's like, oh, just, I'll look at which ones are important. And I, I kind of, I texted him and I said, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. And I was just trying to figure out, you know, is this a worthwhile story or not? Cause I'm just looking at all of these things that Oracle is popping up in. And I don't ever want this to be toil or, you know, a, a negative task, but I am glad that I did this one. Cause I do think it's a worthwhile storyline. And whenever Batman messes up or bad things happen, I like to point out to people like Donovan uh, who hold him up so highly that, hey, he also makes mistakes. Yeah. You know, I feel like DC Comics should hire me just to be an advocate for some of their characters and be like, hey, this is happening. Do you realize you're doing this? Mm -mm -mm. That's not good. But anyways, I'm going to give this eight out of 10 matches not a huge oracle appearance, but it uh, it's worthwhile where where she is and the discussions that she has and the points that she brings up, obviously, as they resonated with me. Hey, no, listen to our emails. What's happening, people? You need to write your emails to me. Remember, you can send in backroll to oracle at gmail.com. I've asked so many questions so far. Last of Us, the sex scene. You could actually go on YouTube. Actually, I kind of feel icky saying this, but, you know, Dina, just say Dina and Ellie kiss, and then Owen and Abby, I don't even know, scene. You'll probably be able to find it. It's long. That one's longer because you do need the context of why he's moping around. That's another thing. I didn't feel connected to him, but also that whole scene, even though you should feel empathy, you also, like, there's a pregnant girl, which I guess out of context you wouldn't know, but 
she says like Abby says, what about Mel? And then he's like, she'll be fine. Cause he's about to leave her. So that doesn't ingratiate himself anyways. So anyways, the sex scenes I've got a question about Alan specifically needs you to write in to tell me how I did on that Christian thought business. And is that it? I guess that's it. Okay. Well, Donovan, Donovan has a lot to account for. I'm going to take a break and part two, we'll see if eight minutes is true. can tell past Stella if that's true or not. When I come back, I am going to be talking back roll 46 slash 98 slash 201 and bad girl 47 slash slash 99 slash 202. But first, Zias' Radio Hour featuring Stay Gold by BTS. In the world where you feel cold You gotta stay gold, baby みわくたきなもんらいこよいもねもらないつきあかりよたよりにきみのもとへはいでんせ心へ年のびこんできみのまじかちがつくのさいつのまにかへいけがれぼしだないなその人見わたいやどんな宝石よりもビューティフルなう
And welcome back. It is 1.38. So at 1.46, let's see where I am. My past self said eight minutes into this part that you would see me rage quit. Quit, sorry. I will say I've waited so long for this, but I think it was Ian Prime had said something like, they're probably close to 100 or 150. And I actually looked up all the issues. Volume one with 73, volume two with six, volume three with 24, volume four with 52, and volume five with 45. So we were over 200. So here we are. So now I can have AKA, AKA, which always annoys Donovan. I wanted to briefly bring up Marigrid Scott because she actually, during COVID times, I, I think, June 23rd, yeah, talked about her terrible experience at uh, DC Comics. She said, these are tweets coming from her. You know, the day I knew I'd never be able to make it big in comics, the day I bumped into another writer in an airport and accidentally learned he was heading to DC's Burbank offices for a Bat Family Summit. I was writing back all the time. I wasn't invited. I had just started the gig and I desperately wanted to believe it was timing. I begged my editors to let me come in for free and at least sit in on summits that dealt with my characters. I was literally working up the street at the time. It didn't matter. There was at least one more summit I know about that I was invited to. I suspect more than one given how whole storylines of mine would be thrown out to accommodate a new event my characters were in without my knowledge, inclusion, or opinion. I was expected to shut up and execute to chase and beg higher up writers who couldn't be bothered to even let me know they were about to blow up months of work, then write revision after revision with no extra pay. It got so bad I literally couldn't afford to work there anymore because my pay was so low. I quit. I still blame myself for that. I thought I could be good enough to break through it even if I knew it wasn't about merit. I'm not doing this to blow up anybody. I just want young women out there to remember that when someone tells you I support women, you look around and see if there are any effing, geez, the whole word, women near him that he's actually supporting because if there aren't, he just supports himself, which I... Who boy. Uh, I mean, yeah, her leaving, obviously, we wondered, you know, we as in the people in my circle wondered about that. Trying to pick up, I know I had a picture of a solicit somewhere recently of 46. When the February preview came out, it says, uh, this is 46, I'm about to do 46. After a catfight with Catwoman last issue, when did that happen? Batgirl thinks Selina is right about these statues. Could they be made from actual living Gothamites? But when her investigation leads her to the KG Beast and he tells how he was involved in Nightwing being shot, all bets are off and Batgirl is faced with doing the right thing or doing what is right for someone she loves. When did any of that actually happen? Um, so I think that just goes to prove the point, right? And that's Cecil Castellucci. I don't even know what to say about that. I So any... 
issues I have with these stories. I think, you know, as time has gone on, I can't really blame the writer to a certain extent. I think depending if I hear the writer and how the writer speaks about Barbara, I can disagree with that. But with all of this stuff going on and weird things and story decisions, I don't know to what extent I can actually blame him or her. So I just want to let you know about those tweets and I'm sorry that that happened. And I don't know what DC is doing and I hope it's better. I hope it gets better now that they're cleaning house. Maybe. I don't know. I hope that well, I'm going to go on a big diatribe, honestly, pretty soon. So I guess I can just wait for that. Let's do 46 first. So back row 46, a.k.a. 98, a.k.a. 201, stay gold. Writer Cecil Castellucci, artist Carmine D. Gian Domenico, and colorist Jordi Belair. Gotham Substation number 214. Batgirl is in the throes of a battle with KG Beast. Batwoman is knocked out, so great purpose for her. And Dasha does her villain talks a lot thing. Batgirl uses that to her advantage to ask, ask Dasha's life story and distract her so she can use a laser in her gauntlet to escape. There was an accident when Dasha was younger and her mother, along with the rest of the village they lived in, was turned into gold during an experiment. Dasha molded her mother into a bracelet mm, to keep her close. Turns out Dasha could hear her mother's voice and the others in there and wanted to free them. Of course, the government thought she was crazy. She needs a great deal of power to get them out, and it seems a life is worth a life. Makes sense. Hashtag druids and Caesar. Not that I'm you know calling other people up. And that is why she was using the homeless people, because, of course, no one cares about the homeless people. They're just silent generation. Batgirl frees herself, and KGB shoots at her, which overloads the system. Batwoman wakes up oh, and fights KGB. Dasha begins to transform with the gold. I do know that. Her people do start appearing. I'll go with that. Okay. And Batgirl contemplates what ends she would go to to bring back someone she loved. Dasha argues that she contributed to renewable energy by sacrificing the homeless. So, hey, it wasn't all bad. Dasha interacts with the VAT and the energy peaks. And it looks like she was the key as several people from within the gold appear. KGB starts freaking out, and Batgirl somehow severs the connection by throwing people back into the vat, uh, as if that makes sense. Batgirl tries to save Dasha, who is trying to create electricity off the grid, but Batgirl prevents her, I guess, uh, even though the next page says Dasha created gridless energy, so I don't know. Dasha is carted away. Batwoman and Batgirl shake hands, and Alejo uses the tragedy of the event to help the neighborhood with the new energy. Babs considers quitting. And so does Jason. So they play hooky and go on a date, even though Babs doesn't know if it's a date. She has an internal monologue again as they talk about past and future. During a rooftop picnic at night, Babs considers telling Jason her secret, but he misinterprets that she is afraid and they end up kissing. She arrives home talking on the phone with him and enters her apartment with the Joker behind her door. Yay. Next, the joke that kills. Uh-oh. Favorite art would probably be the rooftop scene. It would be much better if Jason wasn't up there, but just it's laid out well and it it, it looks nice. 
So there's my positive aspect of this. COVID did not do this issue or this book any favors. Time between it made this and 45 made it hard to get back into. It's too long of a fight scene. It's with overwrought dialogue. Batgirl is feeding into the villain, giving, you know, the monologue trope. It's just, it's too much. I don't know if it would have been any better if, if, if COVID hadn't happened, but here we are. Oh, and, you know, what the F was the point of Batwoman even being there? I mean, she gets knocked out. She barely does anything. It was like a Silver Age trope for sure. The villain, Dasha, she did nothing for me. She wasn't really very intriguing. We actually don't know much about her until this one when there's just this huge info dump on it. So that's it. kind of a rush there. And then, you know, why did KGB suddenly, uh, well, why is he even there to begin with? Why does he wimp out? How did he escape? Was this just a point to bring the connection between Babs and Dick and KGB and, and harming Dick, which I didn't even know about until there was an editor's note? I really don't know. Alejo ends up using the tech, saying a terrible wrong can make a right. And I feel like she's steadily become a shady politician. And perhaps this is the only purpose of Dasha, this villain here, to set Alejo up as an even greater one. And if that doesn't happen, I kind of question what some of these shady arcs have been doing and why you've been leading us readers in this one direction and you decided not to fulfill that. Bab says she'll be leaving. I continue to be surprised that she even has a job. And she's still a volunteer, right? She's not getting paid, which is bad because she's lost all her money after giving up Gordon Clean Energy, which she lives in a ramshackle apartment. Yikes. While playing hooky, Barbara asks herself it's if it's a date. Oh my gosh, wasn't it established that it's a date? Why are you conflicted internally as to whether or not this is a date? I don't understand. The internal musings of Barbara are so annoying as she goes on this date non-date. I can almost not, I can't even handle it, really. Such mixed messages to Jason. It was established at the end of issue 44 that they weren't enemies anymore. So I don't know why all of a sudden we've got this unnecessary conflict and drama in the mix with him and Batgirl. And Barbara, you better not tell him you are Batgirl. Why would you reveal your greatest secret to someone with whom or for whom you have such great doubts does not make sense at all. In uh, 50, sounds like we're going that way. I don't even know. She's going to reveal it and then apologize from back row and Barbara to you, Jason. I'm sorry that I threw you off a building. My gosh, who is this Barbara Gordon? That's all I have to ask. And, oh, great, the Joker. I mean, why... The F, doesn't Barbara have better security? This is Barbara frickin' Gordon we're talking about. Give me a break. To be honest, this was, I mean, I'm giving it a 5 out of 10 bats, but it was almost, I don't know, it's kind of like boring. Like, I don't even have too much. I, I did talk about some stuff, but really it's just like, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh, mm, that's weird, that doesn't make sense, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just like take it or leave it situation. It, it certainly didn't raise my ire like it uh, the next one did. So five out of 10, it's just like, nah, okay. 
Uh, okay. If you're just tuning in, I am, uh, Pastello was off by three minutes. So here we are. This is back row 47. This is when uh, rage quitting will in fact happen. I think also I might do some share screen, which makes me a bit nervous. So I won't do it a lot so that, you know, YouTube doesn't try to destroy me or something for copyright, but I will have it when I make some really intense claims. I didn't even want to recap this garbage. I thought, what What if I just went in and out of context just talked about all this stuff? But I guess I have to. I guess that's my role as host. Uh, okay. Back row 47, a.k.a. 99, a.k.a. 202. The anatomy of a joke. Writer, Cecil Castellucci. Artist, Robbie Rodriguez. And colorist, Jordi Belair. Babs is home after a date with Jason, doing her thing like undressing, cleaning up, eating, doing weird yoga, or stretching moves when she smells rotting flowers and senses someone in the apartment with her. She flings her wine glass at the intruder, only to discover it's the Joker. He knows she is Batgirl, and he knocks out her implant, making her paraplegic Babs once again. He goes through her history like a dossier. Uh, She throws some batterings. She tries to activate computer security. He talks about their memories together. He manipulates her body with his little gizmo while asking for the codes to get into Batman's computer. (sighs) He compares her to Robin calling her a pale imitation. Then she laughs psychotically at him, which pisses him off. He talks about what he has done to other people in the family, then puppeteers her outside. On the way, she activates an SOS, but realizes it goes to Alfred and he's dead, so no one's going to be helping her. Joker says they are similar because she has done and is doing terrible things to Jason. She's just like James Jr., She gives him some info on the codes for some reason, then spots some detritus, as I like to say, really detritus, on the roof. After saying Batman will come for him and finish him, she stabs herself in the back, shorting out her chip, then getting a large pole from somewhere and throws it into the Joker from behind. The issue ends with them both bleeding out on the roof, mere inches from one another, laughing, and Joker saying that, She's actually the best Robin. Next, a Gordon family affair. Favorite art. Let's start off positive, people. Let's start off positive. I actually enjoyed this art a great deal. I couldn't put my finger on it, but then I realized Robbie Rodriguez, Spider-Gwen. I feel like, and this is going to sound weird, it fits for Batgirl, but it doesn't fit for this Batgirl book. I think tonally it needs to be used differently. Specifically, the story, I don't think it even works either. One panel that I did not like, of course, is Batgirl Barbara uh, laughing psychotically, uh, which I will, of course, show you. I thought about this. You know, there are those reaction videos that people have, and I feel like they're doctored because how did you know that? I guess I could say like Joel, you know, if you weren't leaked, how did you know that Joel was going to die? How did you know that the Abby Ellie sort of thing? You didn't. You didn't know to capture yourself on video that this was going to happen. You had to watch it first and then you had to re-summon up those things. So I thought to myself, wouldn't it be funny if I gave, you know, my, my, whatever, my forced reaction. 
And I thought, you know, there's sort of the valley girl reaction, like, oh my gosh, this was so offensive. There's the the Daria, like, mm, this was so offensive. But the Stella has to say that this is one of the most offensive Batgirl comics that I have ever read. And I'm going to go through. You'll have to forgive me for hopping around because uh, I do have my notes because otherwise I would just freak out. But honestly... I was so upset and enough time has passed. It's been a week, I think, since I read this, but my ire was so high that I almost went after Ian Prime, who's probably the sweetest guy on Twitter that I know because he like said something close and I was about to yell, not really at him, but just like this little quotation that he had. I just could not believe it. And maybe it's just me. I've got other people saying, yeah, I didn't like it either. Haven't heard from Carolyn yet. I'm waiting on that. Don said, I didn't think it was offensive, but it wasn't very good. But no, it's, absolutely offensive. Okay. Let me begin here because uh, it, it'll increase. My ire will increase. I will say, as Calm Stella here, that DC takes it for granted that if you're reading Batgirl, you must be reading everything else that is Bat-related, uh, which is not true. This is this, besides Wonder Woman, are the only two DC comic things that I'm actually reading. They do a poor job here because there's really no information as to how Joker knows all of this stuff, and especially about Barbara and how's he, he, how is he in charge of Wayne Company um, or Wayne Co., whatever. So that's really interesting. I found it interesting that uh, <laughs> Alicia and Frankie were name-dropped, and I'm like, oh, wow, you do remember who those two characters are, but it's, it's totally weird. Okay, let's go over here. Oh, man, this will be interesting. Okay. Oh, here we go. This number one. Okay. Yeah. She's going to undress. You got these the, the creepy eyes over here. I can't point to anything, but you've got creepy eyes back there. He's watching her undress. Creep factor is rising for me. She's doing weird yoga down there. Ice pack. That's reasonable. She was just out on a date, actually. That actually is dumb now that I think about it. Oh, she's drinking wine. Someone said she's drinking coffee. And I'm like, no, it's tea. Look at this. This is what I'm talking about. What What are you doing? Why you sense someone who's inside my apartment? Stay calm. Throw them. What? What is she doing? Why this weird yoga pose and then throwing it? It is so bizarre. Then if we, I'm going to go with my notes here because it's going to, look at this. This, here's an offensive thing right now. And this is all stemming from the killing joke. This is the killing joke for our, our, our generation, I suppose I'll say. And I've got major problems with that, but I'll just say, here we go. We've got a, the photograph motif. Of course we do. Uh, there it is everywhere. Of course we need to say or see all of that. Um, yeah, my next point is the whole issue is sick and perverted, if you ask me. So first off, yeah, you've got to take a lot of things for granted. Joker somehow gets into Barbara Gordon's apartment, which I think is is ridiculous. I will accuse... Casalucci here of not knowing Barbara in the sense that no matter how dilapidated that apartment is, Barbara Gordon with Oracle's past would have absolutely had more security, any security. There was no security. It, what, a padlock, huh? Absolutely not. So you got to take that for granted. 
You also have to somehow take for granted that the Joker understands the technology that is running Barbara's implant enough that he finds something to destabilize it. And boy, how, yeah, look at that. Look at that imagery there. Quick, you've got this uh, silhouette of her buzzing out, and now she's on the ground here. Here's where, and I don't know if anyone, has anyone talked about this? I don't know. I don't even read reviews. So here I am going. The Killing Joke. We are, we're viewing The Killing Joke. And I don't know if we're trying to make it better or not. But this, so The Killing Joke, he manipulates her body physically to take images of her, right? To take pictures. We have already got that photographic uh, motif. We don't know whether she was uh, sexually assaulted, lots of things point to that in The Killing Joke. This is pretty terrible because he is still physically manipulating her. Here we see her crawling around, but then all of a sudden, click, click, click. Now he's controlling her like a puppeteer. And just how invasive and, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of just proper words to use I mean, it's it's as it's every bit as sick. He's not touching her, but he is using a device to manipulate her, to bring her closer to him, to basically everything against her will. How is that not, without the sexual element, how is that not like raping somebody of something? I mean, rape comes from rapio, rapere, which means to take or steal at its very least. And he's absolutely doing that, which makes it, I, I don't know, I mean, what the the writer and I, I I'll bring DZ Comics and editorial in there as well. They're trying to make this better by having her fight all along the way and trying to do stuff. But everything that she tries to do ends up uh, for naught. So it's just failure after failure after failure. The SOS doesn't go through because it's the wrong one. It's connected to the wrong person. He's dead. It's not going to help you. She's moving around. Tries to throw a batarang. None of it's working. And so that's almost I don't know. I. I I was going to say it's almost worse. At least she's fighting back. Is is that the positive that you can get out of it? I don't really know. You know, on all of these lines uh, of you're worthless, you're just like me, etc., I'm really reading what DC Comics has to say about Batgirl because honestly, they don't treat the character with respect either. If you treated the character with respect, you would not be doing garbage like this. We've already had the killing joke. We've already had her go up against the Joker countless times. Uh, Suicide Squad was a good one. I did one in Birds of Prey. I'm pretty sure where he was, he was in a prison of some sort. It's It's been a while since I've done the Birds of Prey, but I can remember it in my mind. And those have been, there have been positive outcomes of that. Like she's shown that she can handle it. But now it's like, yeah, let's revisit the trauma. And I even read something, I think it was Jeff Johns is like, yeah, I mean, the Joker is in control of Gotham, whatever's going on there. I can't really speak to that with any authority. But hey, let's look at Jason Todd and his trauma with with Joker. Let's look at Barbara with her trauma. My gosh, I mean, yes. And I just went on this sort of thing with Harold, right? That these are fictional characters. I understand Barbara Gordon is a fictional character, but how many times are you going to make readers and huge fans go through the trauma with her? The Killing Joke was enough. It stopped having this imagery, stopped putting her through it again. I, I That's why I feel like this is exceptionally offensive. It's offensive to the character. It's offensive to fans reading it as well. Stop putting someone through trauma because you're putting other people through trauma as well. 
So the worst, yeah, the worthless thing, I mean, gosh, DC Comics doesn't respect her either because they treat her story, apparently with Margaret Surratt, treating her storylines as worthless too. Yeah, they're, they're building this reunion up to be huge, but honestly, who wants it? Jeff Johns, I guess, wants it. I don't know. Who was asking for it? I wasn't. I don't know that any other Barbara Gordon fan would ask for it. Um, She's had better reunions with him. Absolutely. She's bested him. We don't need to keep pounding her down. So she has to pull herself up and beat him again. But she was pounded down so much in this particular story. She's barely ground level at the end. And it's it's so self-deprecating. And the, the character honestly deserves better than she's gotten. I mean, there's a reason why I would potentially tattoo her on my body if I ever did, or, you know, there's a reason why I've done 10 years of this, nearly 200 episodes, is because it's a character that I respect. And why are you putting me through this? Why are you putting her through this? she, She deserves better. Absolutely. Yeah. Why do we keep doing the story over and over and over again? That's certainly something a discussion I've had with a couple people on Twitter. I don't get it. This is the same thing with her entire run starting from, uh, I wouldn't even say New 52, really. It would be post, um, was it Rebirth, I guess? You know, post the Burnside run that she's trying to find herself, trying to start over. And boy, she's really starting over multiple times. Wow, this is getting old. Why is this happening again? Now I've got, oh, the killing joke, oh, the Joker. Yeah, she's having some trouble with him again and again and again. It's almost treating readers like idiots. Like, uh, do we have short-term memory that we don't remember that this has happened before? I mean, give me a bit more credit here. Yeah, it's a comic book, but I'm an actual intelligent human being. Oh, yeah, let's get to this. Give me a break. Here we go. He puppeteers. Oh, oh, okay. Look at, so he puppeteers her out, touching. What the frack? I mean, if you look like his fingers curling around the outside of her, uh, her breast. Oh, my gosh. Man alive. Yeah, it's so sick. It's really sick. Okay, so she's got this detritus. She picked it up somewhere. I was trying to trace all of this because it's, it's kind of weird. So she sees it. There she sees it. Here we go. Look at this. It takes self-mutilation, self-mutilation to break her out of his control. I don't even know what that says about the writing, about DC Comics, that that's what it takes. It reminds me of Saw. Isn't that the whole thing of Saw is like you're given this extreme situation and it's either uh, cut off some sort of limb or die and you've got to do something extreme though. It's You're going to put yourself through it. What this is, I'm basically watching a comic version of Saw happen to my favorite character. Thanks, DC Comics. Uh, this is ridiculous. And then she stabs it. I mean, where she stab? It looks like in her back, but isn't the chip in the back of her neck? It's, I, I really don't get it. I really don't. Let's go back. There's one scene. So the one art I did not like. I just like the style of art, I should say. Robbie Rodriguez. Um, Robbie Rodriguez, I like it. This, look at, the, oh my gosh. What the actual F? No, seriously. I've got a couple things about this. So first of all, looks just like, obviously, that one image with him and his hands and his hair and everything. I think that is super offensive, just like we're relating her directly to Joker. So not only does that actually confirm what he's saying, you're just like me. You're just like James Jr. 
confirmation right there. How offensive, though, to have those two paired up together. Oh, my gosh. To have a victim paired up with compared to visually as well as verbally with her attacker. I mean, can you imagine that in the real world to have that happen to somebody? Why, why doesn't anyone think about this? Again, yes, it's a comic book. But hey, uh, there, there are real world ramifications. So that's really sick. So she's laughing at him. Hey, does anyone remember this happening again? Again, you're thinking, hey, uh, Stella has short-term memory loss. No, I don't. I was, it took me a while to track down which it was. I could see it in my mind. I could see the story in my mind. It is the 1997 Batgirl story, which was the kind of tie-in to the Batman and Robin, which AKA best Batman film there is, where she laughs at him and he gets so upset. He's like, stop laughing at me. So, hey, here we have it again. Apparently that's his kryptonite. Uh, where are we? Here we go. Yes. I call this the sickest scene of all. Barbara and Joker laying down near each other, both laughing. And then uh, he calls her the best Robin. Okay, so if I were to parse this scene here, number one, I don't want Barbara anywhere near him. I don't want her laying down like this. Is she holding his hair? What the F is going on? Bleeding out together. This also reminds me of, uh, wasn't it the wedding issue or the lead up to it where Catwoman and Joker were laying down next to each other and talking or something? So, you know, let's copy that shall we the laughing okay so clearly we're connecting it to the killing joke again where batman and joker laughed i don't want what no absolutely not i don't know you know that's up for debate the end of the killing joke why batman was laughing I, I, I can't even remember why I thought that happened. But there is no way that Barbara Gordon would ever laugh with the Joker. There is absolutely no way. Private Joker not laughing at him, yes, but this is not that situation reading it as, as I'm reading it. Number two, the fact that he says you actually are the best Robin, I find that whole Robin discussion exceptionally offensive as well. I mean, the theme for this part right here is uh, I'm offended. Barbara Gordon should be offended. I'm, I'm offended on her behalf. As a reader, I'm offended. It's an offensive piece of writing and DC Comics shouldn't have released it at all. Why are you comparing Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl to Robin? And I recognize that it's Joker doing it. But as a writer, why would you do that? Why are you demeaning her in this way? And I don't mean that as an insult to Robin. You know, like, oh, Robin's so terrible. Why would you compare it to that? I mean, Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl is her own character. She's spent years. She's been trying to get out of that shadow um, of Batman and Robin since the Silver Age. And I feel like she has. And then we've got a bring it to this particular garbage and to say that she's the best Robin? Is that, that is supposed to be a compliment? A compliment's coming from Joker. Why are you going to accept that compliment? And number two, again, she's not Robin. She's Batgirl. Give me a break. I feel like I, 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 I. she's got her own identity. As Batgirl fans, why would I as a Batgirl fan want her to be called a Robin? And, and even, you know, if I think about Stephanie Brown, who was a Robin and also a Batgirl, I feel like those are two completely different things, two spots on her journey. To see this, this grown woman, and even as a comic character, from where she came uh, in the Silver Age to 
getting that respect in the Bronze Age to be torn down again with Killing Joke, to be probably one of the the, the best comic characters, one of the most important comic characters as Oracle, to be brought back to Batgirl and uh, it be really confusing with history and, and people not under, also on the outside of this narrative arc not understanding her character and then to just be devolved into, well, you're just... Uh, you're just another type of Robin as if her legacy as Batgirl doesn't exist, I think is, is well, guess what folks? It's really offensive. This is my gosh, you know, I was thinking about this, my ire. I'm, I'm really, I wish I, I should have done like a little thing where you could see my, um, my heart rate on the monitor when, when I was really upset, which I am again, I was thinking to myself, was I ever this upset with Gail Simone? in that new 52 run and because I did not like it and it's just hard. Like, I wonder if I hated that run. I remember giving low grades. I remember really terrible things, but I don't know if I've ever been as incensed with the comic as I have with this particular comic. Almost cracked my middle finger, which hurts still. Yikes. I I think that's the end of my tirade. Uh, I wonder how long that lasted longer probably than uh, anyone ever imagined, but It's not an act, folks. I'll tell you that right now. I had read it before. I was incensed. Obviously, I took notes, but all of that was true and coming at you for reals. So maybe the clickbait uh, worked for you. Maybe it didn't. I, yeah, I just think it's absolutely offensive for the reader. For me, I am offended as a Barbara Gordon fan and for the character. I think it's terrible. Stop bringing back the killing joke and doing it again. It's enough. Enough. It's been done. You're not doing anything. You're not reinventing the wheel. Is that what it's called? Actually do something worthwhile. If you want to re if you want to redo something that uh, hasn't been done for a while, why don't you give Barbara Gordon a political position, like a congressional seat? Maybe that would actually be worthwhile. I can't even, you know, honestly, I, I'm all ready to, to, to throw the writer's name under the bus and be like, how dare you do this? But I, I feel like after Margaret Scott's tweets, uh, how much can I actually hold the writer accountable because she could have maybe been like me. I mean, if I were there writing this and I just said, no, this is a terrible idea. I'm not doing this. They would just fire me and have what a, um, a fill-in writer that would go with the curve. Cause so I just blame DC comics and editorial for whatever this garbage is. Donovan asked, have you ever given a zero out of 10? And I really couldn't in my mind think about a time that I have given a zero out of 10. I'm not going to now. And the only reason I am not is in fact because of the style of the art. And I think Robbie Rodriguez uh, deserves that one. I would give him a higher actually, but I I can't because of the rest of the story. So I'll give it a one out of 10 bats. You know, apparently, I don't know if we're even done with this and might have to revisit whatever... Garbage is about to happen. (sighs) Okay, well, now over to Chris for his cornucopia of curiosities. Ah, that's like having summer heat and cabin fever. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, bad fans. Welcome once again to the Chris's Cornucopia of Curiosity segment. Thank you very much for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. My name is Chris, and I am very glad to be with you. Today, I'm reviewing Batman Adventures number 33, Taking a quick look at Batman The Adventures Continue, number two, and in the Nightwatch segment, Nightwing, number 72. 
Batman Adventures number 33 was cover dated July 1995 and cover priced at $1.75. For this one, we have a creative team of Ty Templeton as the writer, Dev Madden was the penciler, Rick Burchett was the inker, and Rick Taylor was the colorist. The Batman was created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. This story was reprinted in the Batman Adventures trade paperback volume 4 and does appear to be available on the DC Comics app for $16.99 for the entire trade itself. However, not the individual issue. And our story today is entitled Just Another Night. Act 1. Deja Vu. We find Bruce Wayne dating Veronica Thomas, who he met at a hospital fundraiser, and taking her and her son, Justin, to a Grey Ghost film festival. As they leave the theater, Justin walks ahead and is confronted by a mugger who steals Justin's Gotham Knights ball cap and puts it on his head. The mugger pulls a gun, and Bruce throws the mugger his wallet, and tells Veronica to comply to throw the mugger her pocketbook. The mugger fires a bullet over the heads of Bruce and Veronica, and the mugger runs off. Act 2, Dark Victory. With no one hurt except Bruce's pride, Bruce takes Veronica and Justin back to the theater and tells her to call the police. Bruce abruptly leaves, upsetting Veronica. Bruce changes into Batman and notes that the mugger wore a shirt that read Murphy's Gym. Heading in that direction, Batman finds Bruce Wayne's empty wallet in an alley. Batman tracks the mugger named Kirk to a place called Monty's Joint, filled with ne'er-do-wells. Batman busts in and quickly cuffs Kirk and takes him out by Batline in a terrifying trip before any of the gun-wielding patrons can fire a shot. Act 3. At what cost? Batman hangs the munger off of a light pole outside of a hot dog restaurant that Harvey Bullock is exiting from. Batman coerces a confession from the mugger and takes Justin's ball cap off the mugger's head, telling Harvey he won't need it for evidence. Batman goes back to the theater, momentarily scares Justin, and gives Justin his ball cap back. Batman tells Justin he got the mugger, their things, and Bruce's wallet. Justin says his mom is probably more mad at Bruce than the mugger. Justin asks why Batman is standing in the dark, and Batman says that he didn't want to scare Justin again, but Justin says that Batman can't scare him because he's just one of the good guys. Back in the Batcave, Bruce is on the phone, still in costume, talking to Veronica. Veronica breaks off the relationship, saying that Bruce had no good reason to leave when he did, and ends the call. Alfred says that truth was not an option, and it was a bad day where everything went wrong. Bruce says he didn't see it that way. Everyone got their stolen items back, the bad guy went to jail, and no one was hurt. The end. My notes. For a fine story, I just wasn't taken with a cover. It depicts the mugger pointing a gun at a young boy with Batman from the shadows closing in on the mugger from behind. The deja vu of a mugging with a man, woman, and boy confronted by a gunman isn't quite new for Batman. The 1970s story Night of the Stalker from Detective Comics 439 had a bit more of a gut punch for me. Still, this was a very effective story. We see the price of being Batman at Bruce Wayne's expense of any type of meaningful relationship. Madden does a great job with the art and the fear drawn in Bruce's eyes during the mugging sequence. He conveys he doesn't want anyone hurt. Not every panel with Batman depicts his face in the darkness, but most of them do, and it really suits the appropriate mood. One panel just depicts the gun being fired, showing the severity and the potential of violence here. And another panel at Monty's joint has a server looking right at the reader. These were all nice touches. With that, I will give Batman Adventures number 33 a solid 8 and a half out of 10 bats. Now, for everyone's favorite segment within a segment, it's Nightwatch. That's where I look at the current issue of Nightwing from a shipper's perspective. At the time of this recording, Nightwing number 72 is the current issue, with writer Dan Jurgens and art by Ronan Cliquet. 
This is a Journey to Joker War crossover. Spoilers ahead. B lights a bat signal fire, but it's Barbara Gordon who answers the call. B asks for help to look into Dick's odd behavior. Batgirl looks for Nightwing, but it's he who finds her on a rooftop. The encounter starts off well enough, but Punchline shows up and gashes Batgirl's left leg. Nightwing intervenes in the fight, but we see he's still under Joker's control, and he punches Batgirl, knocking her out. Then the Joker appears. To be continued. Well, it started off with both B and Barbara looking out for Dick and helping him. Then we get the 180 with Nightwing knocking Batgirl unconscious. Where does it go from here? And if Batgirl and Joker are here, when did the events in the current issue of Batgirl happen? If Joker and Batgirl are over there. <laughs> Just the presence of B and of Barbara, I was kind of tempted to give this issue a mild shipper alert. Uh, but I can't justify it with the result of Nightwing's actions. With that, I will give this issue no, repeat, no shipper alert. This concludes this edition of Nightwatch. And finally, real quick, another look at another book, Batman The Adventures Continue Number 2, based on the old animated series. Can Deathstroke recruit Robin and Batgirl to join him? Can Robin and Deathstroke escape from the Firefly? And just who is spying on everyone from the rooftops from up above? I'm still enjoying this book a lot. I'd like to see Batgirl here, and I'm giving it a 7 out of 10 bats. Ellen Burnett and Paul Dini were the writers on this one with Ty Templeton on the artwork. Listeners, don't forget you can find Still on the Required Reading Podcast. I'd like to give a shout out to my friends, the Sutherlands. Be sure to check out their fine podcasts on the Rad Adventures Network. If you have any feedback for this segment or for the podcast, please head on over to the Batman Universe website. And if you'd like to lend your support to the Batman Universe website, which has news, features, and a fine family of podcasts, Follow the links to Patreon or by making a one-time donation with a link on the Batman Universe homepage. Thank you for your support. Listeners, you can also find me on the Professor Frenzy Show, where my friend Jerry and I look at new independent comic book titles. I hope you check it out. Thank you very much. Who is married to Professor Hugo Strange? What feline femme fatale lures Batman to dinner? Is Batman losing his mind and his memory? Don't fail to listen to the next podcast where the answers to these menacious, mind-numbing misfortunates will be minced next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight. My anime watch list. I watched two shows recently, and uh, I enjoyed them both. So this will at least bring me back, calm me down a bit. First is Convenience Store Boyfriends 2017. I watched this on Crunchyroll, so it was... Japanese only, I believe, with English subtitles. 12 apps. Six high school students' lives around the convenience store on their way from school. They talk about their lives and meet girls they end up falling for. Uh, so a nice little school and slice of life and romance drama. And then on Netflix from 2014, I watched the English version. 12 episodes, Monthly Girls, Nozaki-kun. Chiyo Sakura is a cheerful high school girl who has fallen head over heels for the oblivious yeah, Umetaru Nozaki. Much of Chio's confusion when she confesses to her beloved Nozaki, he hands her an unfamiliar audio, uh, autograph. Uh, as it turns out, the stoic teenage boy is actually a respected shoujo well, mangaka, publishing under the pen name uh, Sakiko Yumeno. A series of misunderstandings leads to Chio becoming one of Nozaki's manga artists. She does the black in the background. Through the hilarious events that ensue, she befriends many of his quirky schoolmates, including 
I mean hers, okay, including his seemingly shameless fellow assistant Mikoto Mikoshiba and the prince of the school Yukoshima. And the prince, I will say, is actually a lady. And it's the English voice of Misaki from uh, <laughs> Maid-sama, which was great. I love that. She helps him with the manga and she tries to, I don't know, tell him how she feels a couple of times, but he misunderstands and he honestly is really oblivious because other people know that she likes him, but he doesn't. And they don't get together at the end of the series, which was interesting. Winding down. So we are at the what are you wearing segment, which really only makes sense for the people who are watching. But I went with, I was going to wear a Batman Beyond hat and then I ended up doing my hair more, uh, more complicated than I thought it was going to be. But I decided to go with Broadway. I'm wearing the Hades town the myth, the musical, you can see with the flower in the hand. And then the back says a kingdom will fall for a song. A kingdom will fall for a song. I also want to show you. So in the background, I tried to change a bit dude, things that are back there. And this little guy. So I do love pop figs and I have to calm myself down from getting any of them, though the majority have come from other people. But I will say if there's anything cuter than a pop fig, it is an itty bitty from Hallmark, and I've got several itty bitties two, four, six, eight, ten. This guy, and then I think I have two in my car, so I've got 12 itty bitties. I saw this itty bitty, and also thank you to my mom for giving me these itty bitties. Um, they are a joy. This guy, this is they're normally small, they're about this size, normally. This size, do do do. This is the most inventive itty-bitty ever. I'm easily amused. It is a Tauntaun from Empire Strikes Back. And little Luke, he's inside of the itty-bitty's belly. Oh, I loved it so much. And shout out to Momsy for uh, getting it. And he just popped up. Uh, It was a surprise that came one day. But oh my gosh, isn't that great? When he was in Hoth and all that stuff. Oh man. Anyways, so that's my... uh, my fun thing. Uh, so that brings me some joy. I should put that with the mac and cheese. Uh, so I didn't want to leave on the terribleness that is Batgirl 47. The final thing, I'm going to be on my phone again, apologies, is of course my literature recommendations. Here we go. Okay, I read Eleanor Roosevelt Volume 1, because there are three of those, 1884 to 1933, by Blanche Vison Cook. The Portable Dorothy Parker by Dorothy Parker, of course. Firefly Lane, Kristen Hanna. I would I would love to talk to this woman. Tried to find her on the Twitter, but I, I you never know if it's actually that person. I do. Let me read the synopsis on this one, because actually I do really recommend it, but with Kristen Hanna, apparently you just need to have your emotions ready to be destroyed. Okay, in the turbulent summer of 1974 kate malarkey has accepted her place at the bottom of the eighth grade social food chain then to her amazement the coolest girl in the world moves in across the street and wants to be her friend tolly hart seems to have it all beauty brains ambition on the surface they are as opposite as two people can be kate doomed to be forever uncool with a loving family who mortifies her at every turn tolly steeped in Glamour and mystery, but with a secret that is destroying her. They make a pact to be best friends forever. By summer's end, they've become Toy and Kate, which is one word. 
inseparable. Yeah, it spans more than three decades. Honestly, I could go on and on and talk about this. Uh, There is a part two, which I've just now put on hold, because if you recall, I had 13 books that came in all at once. Uh, I'm down to one, people. It's so exciting. But I was waiting to put things on hold. It was was an exercise in temperance, because I thought, I I still have these books. I can't put these other things on hold. So I'm going to see two, a part two, and then also... A Netflix series is about to be created on that one. So I'm going to watch it, but it's going to be a two joke for sure. Unless by Carol Shields, old school by Tobias Wolf. Let me tell you a funny story about this. I started reading this and I thought, well, first of all, I had seen the cover and I thought mm, that seems familiar, but it's not crossed out on my reading list. So, uh, and it wasn't my Goodreads at the time. So I thought, oh, I guess I didn't. And I started reading. And I thought, man, this seems so familiar. What other book had visiting authors come to this this boys' school? There was that one book where Ayn Rand came to a boys' school, reading, reading, reading. OMG, Ayn Rand just came to this boys' school. So I ended up rereading that book, so I have to keep better track. Balzac and the Little Chinese Seamstress by Dai CJ, and I think translated by Ina Rilke. Audiobook recommendation, Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kawhi Strong Washburn. The Last Empire Essays, 1992-2000 to by Gore Vidal. The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Galapagos, which you can, I have yet to edit that episode, but it should come out in August on Required Reading with Tom and Stella by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. So you can check that out. Empire Falls by Richard Russo. It was, I didn't, Enjoyed as much as I know other people because it won the Pulitzer, didn't it? And I did watch the HBO adaptation of it. I don't know. I just couldn't get on board with it. I didn't feel like any of the characters were likable. Demons by Dostoevsky. I'm kind of to the point of you've read one Russian novel, you read them all, and I've read enough. I think that's my last Russian novel I have to read, actually. Becoming by Michelle Obama. Politics in Gotham, the Batman universe, and political thought. Edited by Damien K. Picariello or Picariello, and which I'll be talking about soon in a few minute moments. And then the final audiobook that I read, which was recommended by Carolyn on our previous episode that we were on. And she said, Yeah, I think you would like this. It's Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. I read that and well, listen to it, sorry. And I recommend that. There's shipping, which is always good. Uh, but I always get nervous when there's shipping. So, you know, I was texting her like, uh, you know, if this turns out poorly, you realize you've betrayed me and I'll never forgive you. That's her thing. So friendships are on the line when people give me romantic-esque novels. And yeah, so I have been, I've been listening to way more audiobooks than I normally do. Normally I save them for trips, like trips up to New York City, which I'm more in that loss because that was, uh, I usually take a, a yearly trip up to Broadway, which is, you know, kind of one of the reasons why I wore my Hadestown shirt. But uh, yeah, I've been, but besides, oh gosh, I guess I haven't really talked to you guys about this, but I've been cycling so much. I think I've mentioned it, but I just did, I think, 280 miles in the month of July. One of my good friends from college, um, we are doing like a 
I guess a challenge. And so this month she said, let's do 200. And so I was doing self. And so my average, I do every other day and my average on like the regular days are about 20 miles. And then one of the days, one of those three days, I do a long ride and I've been increasing that one, obviously. And so, like I said, 40 is now my peak. I think it's my peak for forever. It's not just in this go around, but I'm pretty sure when I first was um, really cycling, when I first got the bike that 40 was, I think the most I have done. So what was my point? Oh, okay. In between that, I I do, I walk um, and hike. So when I'm doing those sorts of things, because I I just, I don't think I have the legs to do. I mean, I guess you just build it, but I kind of want to break from biking. I don't need to do it all the time. I walk, hike, and then that's when I've been listening to audiobooks. So unfortunately, I'm behind in the podcasting, but you know, the, uh, and, and Alan's going to get on me for this, but the pod, the, you know, I really only listen to who's who, but any recommendations would be in the queue. And, um, it's just been a while since I've done that. But if I, and I'm hoping that I get to take this class I want to take at UVA and I'm close enough, I mean, it's about maybe two miles or so from campus. I live two miles from campus or ground. So I feel like I'll be listening to a lot of stuff. So podcasting or audiobooks and stuff. So yeah, I got my, I mean, once COVID started, cause I thought I can't get any library books. I should look for as many as I can for my reading list and put them on audible and just use audible. And I was able to do that. And now that the library has opened, now I'm, I'm listening to some books that I don't know. I guess I don't know what the decision is maybe behind some of them. There are a couple that I still have on the Audible list that are on my reading list that I can't get from the library. And then just other ones that maybe I would prefer to listen to. So for example, High School, which I think I recommended a while ago by uh, Sarah Quinn and Tegan Quinn from Tegan and Sarah. Um, I have read it but I also want to listen to it because I know that they actually put in clips from their old recordings of the the songs that they ended up redoing for their album that came out. Hey, I'm just like you. So things like that. And then just, yeah, maybe less serious novels, you know, like Evie Drake wasn't a serious novel. Um, so cause I'm more of a visual, so it's gotta be something that uh, will engage me enough and I can follow the best that I can. So Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for watching. Part two was perhaps more entertaining than part one. Part one was, I think, more philosophical. I don't know. More of a, yeah, head. And I think part two is more of a heart. So, Uh, but you know, (laughs) I, when I check my, my views, it's like 12 views and there's always more views on part one. So I always wonder what that's about. Like, did they just check in a bit and they're like, yeah, that's okay. I don't even need part two. This is enough. I don't know. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's a, a strong difference between part two and part one since part two is where the rage quit is, uh, which, what did I say? I was off at three minutes, right? I think so. So I'll have to say nine minutes in, you can see the beginning of my rage quit. But I guess technically even that's a lie because I didn't start rage quitting until after the synopsis. So what ifs? Remember, you can send any questions or comments to backrolloracle at gmail.com. So I've asked some questions. Uh, The sex scenes, 
the comparison, why does it bother me? What I don't know. Why isn't anyone talking about it? The decisions, etc. And then Alan, I've specifically asked to write in to me regarding my representation of Christianity and what his thoughts are. Donovan, I've called out to explain Bat Jerk that he hasn't fired Cassandra yet. And also the fact that he, um, it was his mistake that led to the death of another human being. Yeah. Yep. 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 I forgot to talk about his detective mistake because he didn't even check that the dead body that he found was matches Malone. He just assumed, Uh, 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 explain yourself, Donovan Morgan Grant. And, yeah, I mean, I guess if you have any thoughts on Batgirl 47, I'll be glad to hear it. It'd be interesting if someone loved it, loved it. And and I would love to hear what you have to say about that. Find the show on Google Play and Stitcher. And now you can find it on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Batgirl the Oracle. And like the show on Facebook, follow it on Twitter at Batgirl Oracle. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. So support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to my high comics for sponsoring Batgirl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Next time, which is actually in two days, I am recording with a colleague on politics and Gotham that I just talked about. And it is not going up on YouTube right away just because I didn't want to oversaturate if that even exists for my thank you 12 viewers. But... It'll maybe the week after. I don't know. So you can just uh, keep on the lookout for that. And I guess I should say what trigger warning. I guess we'll be talking about politics. I said no ad hominem attacks. So he can't call Trump a poopy face, I told him. And uh, some religion may pop up as well. So just trigger warnings on that. But until then. And I guess the next. So that'll be August. Then I think the next episode. Carolyn will be on so then I can I can ask her personally how did you feel being thrown into the deep end of the Stella personality pool and uh, she can let us know if I scared her off or not so here we are uh, until then until that craziness thank you for putting up with me and hopefully it was entertaining again that wasn't an act people that was that was real life until then fly on that's lovers just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?